0: Security can't solve crucial problems when they have to wade through thousands of alerts a day. With ServiceNow, you can easily prioritize and respond to your most crucial business threats. That way, you can go from overwhelmed to under control. ServiceNow brings security, risk, and IT together on one platform. Learn more at securityweekly.com forward slash ServiceNow. When it comes to modernizing identity, Active Directory just makes everything harder. From managing access for contractors and departing employees to securing cloud apps and on-prem systems. Your company deserves better. Choose Okta, the modern identity platform that securely connects anyone that touches your organization to any technology they want to use. Okta reduces AD vulnerabilities, secures not only employees, but contractors and customers. Simplifies domain consolidation and reduces your attack surface. To learn more, visit securityweekly.com Forward slash Octa, Greathorn Email Security protects organizations from advanced threats such as impersonations, credential theft, and zero-day attacks. With Greathorn, you will detect and block more phishing threats from reaching users, reduce risk by providing employees with in-the-moment education, and quickly remove dangerous emails from inboxes in just two clicks. Greathorn protects your organization before, during, and after an email attack. Schedule a demo by visiting SecurityWeekly.com forward slash Greathorn.
1: Welcome to Security Weekly. I'm your host Matt Alderman. We are recording live at Hacker Halted down in Atlanta, Georgia. Joining me for this interview segment is Kathy Ullman. Welcome.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Now we were talking about your talk and we're going to talk about your talk um, about the the history of cybersecurity and fear. Yes. Give us a little overview. There's a couple things I'm going to want to pull on because I've been in this industry for a long time. Me too. And I remember the fear, uncertainty, (laughs) doubt components of the way we used to try to sell security.
2: You say used to.
1: (laughs) Well, that is true. (laughs) Paul and I have gotten away from that concept, but you're right, there are still others out there that kind of still sell the fear component of cybersecurity. So give us an overview of your talk.
2: So, in a nutshell, because of the history of FUD in this industry, which ironically is not what we think of. So we think of fear, uncertainty, and doubt in that very general way. But um, when IBM first brought that to light in the cybersecurity universe, it was a very specific type of thing in which not only did you raise fear, uncertainty, and doubt, but you did it in a way that you misled information about your competitor. Mm. So it's not just that particular FUD, but it's FUD with the intent of misleading information about your competitor. Mm -hmm. But in a nutshell, my talk is uh, explaining how the very fear that gave rise to this industry is ultimately what's causing problems for its existence now. Mm -hmm. And we're fighting that in in the defensive roles absolutely every day.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I remember I started in security in 96 and one of the first projects I had was to replace an antivirus software solution because right. back then it was all about the viruses and the worms Absolutely. back then, right? Absolutely, yes. And and I remember that time when I can't remember if we shifted from semantic to McAfee or McAfee to semantic. I don't remember. Yeah. But it was because there was this uh, outbreak on the virus side, and, and that was the first piece. And I remember growing coming through the security um, Ecosystem at that time, right? We were doing antivirus and then we did all the firewalls and we were building our perimeters. And and we were selling this concept of fear a lot about protecting the organization, right? Yes, And we still, like I said, we still see that today. Sure. But we're, we're, for, for us, for example, right? We always try to understand Problem solution value, right? Not about fear, right? Right, and I wish more vendors would actually try to do that more, because it, it only gives us all a bad name in some respects in the industry. Because yes. not only are we peddling fear, right? The the term APT was uh, used for a exactly. long time in the industry. If you go to Asia, it's still a, a predominant part of their language. Believe yep. it or not, um, the marketing aspect of APT. His, it was so good that people still use that term today, but it, it's kind of misleading
2: absolutely right
1: in in the way we think about attacks and attackers
2: right, because at the end of the day, how do most Apts start? they don't start by some malicious actor magically breaking into your system. they send an email and you click on a link right so Apts, yes, ultimately are a bad thing, but the the focus isn't shouldn't be on the apt right. it needs to be on the phishing campaign that got them in in the first place yeah
1: in, in through some of my talks over the years 95 plus percent of all breaches start because we click the link right As humans we click the link right that's the front door we haven't closed right let alone all the lateral movement and all the advanced persistence yes. of the
2: threat it, it was a simple Client-side exploit exactly. through a phishing campaign, right? Absolutely. And unfortunately, we have taken fear into the realm of, of the human, right? So we're trying to educate people not to do things. And instead of teaching them and explaining what the potential consequences are in a way that allows them to feel comfortable reporting mm-hmm. and therefore limiting exposure because once the company finds out people stop clicking on things if the message gets out that this is a bad thing instead it's oh you could get in trouble if you click the link. So now people not only do they continue to click the link but they don't report it <laughs> so you know we're, we're using fear against ourselves right. in that way um, you know by ultimately condemning our population right. for doing what we do we're human and, right. and you know we're, I don't, we're curious, so we click it, the link. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's more a matter, and this is part of what I talk about uh, or we will be talking about today, it's a matter of, of learning to be skeptical and suspicious mm-hmm. and not outright terrified. Right. Um, because fear is a, a tough bird. Um, it can be very effective, as we know, to a certain degree, but it's very difficult to manage. And if you're not very good at it, that message can go in multiple directions. Yeah, and
1: we want our users to be skeptical. As security yes. professionals, we're skeptical. Yep. Right? So, uh, as Paul would say, we distrust and verify. Right. Right? And so we want them to be skeptical. Yes. And if we're going to have an effective education, security awareness program, you want to create that curiosity of being a little distrustful yep. and, and skeptical about what they see in their inbox. Absolutely. Uh, report it. But but if we scare them, then they're not going to do that, as right. you said. And and that's going to defeat the purpose of what the awareness campaign was supposed to do yes. in the first place.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, and we as professionals need to be skeptical of the companies that are still to this mm. day marketing using FEAR and FUD and, and those techniques. Right. Because if we're allowing those those tools in the door for the sake of the fear. So we're buying blinky boxes. The origin of this talk was um, inspired in part by Chris Roberts always talking about, you know, ah, blinky boxes, we need to yeah. stop just adding the blinky boxes. And that led me to think, how did we get here? Yeah. So that, so the, you know, the, the fact ca- that- I can
1: tell you by the way. <laughs> because one of the, the sales uh, executives at Tenable, when Paul and I were at Tenable, he wanted A blinky box that he could put in the data center.
2: Ah, That's a
1: Cisco mentality. I can believe that. right? Because, again, think about what they're selling, right? They're selling routers and switches and putting them in data centers, and they had blinky lights on them, right? They did. And the way some of those folks think is, I just need a blinky box, and I can put it in a data center because I can sell a box. Right. But can you sell a solution to a problem right. that doesn't need a box?
2: And the question is, what is the problem? People don't always <laughs> ask that question, uh-huh. right? What problem are you actually trying to solve? Um, the, the box may have nothing whatsoever to do with the problem you're right. trying to solve. And in fact, that may not lend anything to what your what your goal is. Right. But if you don't understand that goal, that makes that really right. tough.
1: Which is why Paul and I always talk about problem, solution, value. Right. You have to understand the problem. Yes. You have to solve it in a unique or differentiated way. Yep. I think if you're in the space and you have to provide the customer value in some form or fashion, because if there's no value, that solution sits on a shelf, never gets used. Right. And probably gets replaced by another solution that may have been sold on fear or value or who knows. But if you can articulate those three things and really understand those, then I think the industry's in a better position yes. to actually solve real cybersecurity problems versus to fear.
2: Absolutely, I would totally agree with you.
1: Awesome, this was a great conversation. I can't wait to see your talk. Oh, thank you. Hey, thanks for joining us. Yep, you're and welcome. We'll, we'll see you soon. Welcome to Security Weekly. I'm your host, Matt Alderman. We are recording live from Hacker Halted in Atlanta, Georgia. Joining me for this interview segment is Joe Gray.
3: Welcome. Hey, Thanks for having me.
1: Well, this is kind of, this is kind of your back. It was your backyard, right? I mean, this is one of the big events you're part of in mm-hmm. the community down here in Atlanta for Hacker Halted.
3: Absolutely. So uh, I used to live in Atlanta. That's how I, I came to the first Hacker Halted. For me, was 2016. Um, I made some uh, connections, and then shortly thereafter, I became a member of the speaker selection committee. And now, uh, I would say. Uh, a significant percentage of attendees may have used my coupon code <laughs> that I've spammed all over social media right. for the last six or six months or so.
1: Yeah, ours was HH19SW, I believe, uh, our, our code. And I know you had a code as well. And I think a, a number of, a, a few hundred
3: probably used your code mm-hmm. to uh, get here today. The last I heard of is just over 400, so. That's great. Uh, and, and the thing is, you know, I, I have no problem schlepping a code that people get into a conference like this for free. Right. That's true. Uh, Do you know what the total uh, count was? The last I heard, it was about 2,300. Wow. And that did not include the CISO forum, which was about another 2 to 300.
1: Yeah. I mean, Paul just did his keynote a little while ago, and that room was packed. I mean, there Mm -hmm. was a lot of people here. I think we didn't realize how big Hacker Halted actually was. It's it's a really big event.
3: No one ever does. Yeah. But to be fair, um, so the first year there wasn't any adverse weather. The last two years, there's been hurricanes during the time of Hacker Halted, so attendance has been slashed because people either had to stay home or they couldn't make it here or their travel was disrupted. So there's no hurricane this year, so we get the full... Uh, beauty of all that is hacker Halton. yeah, and there's a
1: great buzz long line over here coming over to the booth so that 's great you're also speaking, yes, so what are you talking about
3: uh, I'm basically providing um, some habits for uh, adversary emulation so it's not i 'm not necessarily saying here 's how you red team or here 's how you pen test uh, i'm giving advice to help actually provide more value to potential customers and to actually make you look better in doing it things like don't forget uh, to do recon I mean. Mm. Those who know me know I talk OSINT very frequently. Right, Take your time doing your OSINT. Enumerate. Uh, I say enumerate cubed. So you enumerate before you attack. You enumerate after you attack. And then after you get your root level access, enumerate again and see where you can move from there. Uh, I talk about living off the land, um, about the mentality of whether you should be a nation state or not. Um, because if that's what, if that's the behavior you're trying to emulate, you need to study that nation mm. state, which, right. which ties into another habit of... Study blue team techniques uh, as well as the TTPs they're going to use. Uh, don't forget social engineering, of course. Standard statement for me as well. Right. Yeah. And then um, just remain adventurous, uh, or become adventurous if you're not, because I mean, you take the time to learn and use go from it there. to your advantage. Exactly.
1: Right. Now, is the talk really for the red teamers,
3: or is it more for the blue teamers? Yes. Okay. <laughs> it, it, it's for all of the above because I framed it from the lens of here's how you can become a better red teamer. But for those of you who are on the blue team and trying to move red, here's some good techniques to go with that. Or
1: if you're trying to defend against the red. I I think that's the other thing that that is important for uh, blue teamers to understand is what are the things that red teamers do to prepare for an attack, and then how do you potentially thwart them, right? Exactly. Chris has been on the show, had Nagy, and and we've had conversations about some of the things he's done to get into places, Mm -hmm. right? And what are the things that have thwarted him getting into places, right? So I think it's really important for blue teamers to understand
3: red teamer techniques to defend their organizations better. Oh, absolutely. Because it's more than just kick off this tool, watch for this, watch for that. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, now, uh, a conversation I was having last night, um, I don't need to download and install a bunch of stuff on your system to be effective. Uh, I can execute PowerShell, and then if depending on your configurations, there's always the possibility of, uh, if I have to... Um, Use the C# sharp compiler to uh, to get around it that way. Right. Um, so there's so many different ways that you could look at this that just makes it. I mean, conventional wisdom's out the out the door. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know we've seen a lot of uh, interesting ways to get into organizations, which I think where the uh, where OSINT comes in and the reconnaissance of figuring out, you know, at certain times of the day these things show up, and I can. you know, Masquerade is one of those valid kind of vendors to get in. I mean, these are all things blue teamers need to understand to defend against and then how do you educate your staff to question uh, and stop some of that activity from happening at least ask the question and go a little deeper uh, before you allow people access to your uh, organization or, or facility.
3: Absolutely, and that's based on the concept of normalcy and we don't really think about the concept of normalcy enough because the whole concept of threat hunting in reality is looking for deviations from mm. normalcy mm-hmm. um, in terms of perpetrating an attack using information you've collected via OSINT or social engineering or any other method. If you know the normalcy, you can hide in plain sight. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times with business email compromise, the reason things don't work is because it's the CEO at 3 o'clock in the morning messaging the CFO wh- when the, C- the CEO is actually on vacation, will say in Barbados, but it's with, say, an Indonesian IP address. Right. So that simple sanity check could shut it down. Right. Uh, if, for example, someone was performing adequate reconnaissance against that CEO, they knew they were on vacation in Barbados because they check in everywhere they go. We see their every meal. Right, right. Because thanks to social media. We're- <laughs> Thanks to social media and the lack of implement, implementation of what I call Decepticon, yeah. which is my concepts of uh, anti uh, to include disinformation and deception. Um, because people don't do that. It's, it's just there for the picking. Yeah. Well, good luck on your
1: talk, and uh, hopefully blue teamers and red teamers, you know, get a chance to learn uh, from, from Joe Gray himself. Perfect. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. And thanks for watching. We'll see you soon. Welcome to Security Weekly. I am your host, Matt Alderman. We are recording live day two at Hacker Halted down in Atlanta, Georgia. Joining me for this interview segment is Jenny Radcliffe. Welcome.
4: Thanks for having me.
1: You did the keynote yesterday. Right. Uh, Paul started the event yesterday morning, and then right. I think you kicked off the afternoon.
4: Yeah, just before lunch I was the. Oh,
1: keynote. just before right. lunch. Good, because doing it after lunch is always kind of. Yeah, eh.
4: absolutely. Yeah. So, what'd you talk about in so, your keynote yesterday? So the talk was called "Where the Fallen Angel Meets the Rising Ape," which is a Terry Pratchett quote about the humans. Because mm. I was my talk's all about social engineering, and how it applies in the industry, and how the industry embraced. Um, the human factor of things, I guess.
1: So are we the fallen angel?
4: We're halfway in between. Okay. Neither one or the other.
1: Neither one or the other. Right. We're still trying to figure it out, though? Uh,
4: I guess so. I yeah. guess we're all on a journey, right? So
1: So, when you think about social engineering, I, you know, I, we've had some, Chris Hadnagy was on right. uh, a few weeks ago and known in the space. I mean, you've got a lot of great expertise. One of the things I've noticed is women are really good at social engineering. Does it matter?
4: I think you use whatever you 've got, and I mean, I know Chris would say the same, yeah, you use whatever it is um, for your persona, you know on a pretext, you go with what how you feel and what you already know, the more complicated it is that you 've got more chance of being caught out. Um, I think people often say to me, being a woman, um, does it, you know, does that mean that people are less suspicious of you, but mm. that is, that sort of supposes that the security team are men, but if they 're a female security right, team, right. they can be just as suspicious as of me as of anyone else, right? So right. it's another argument, I guess, for diversity in the industry. Well,
1: true. I mean, we've known that for years. Right. And we are seeing a lot more women come into the space, mm-hmm. which I think is great. Um, but I've also seen this really interesting uh, set of social engineering experts that are women that I think are just... It's mm-hmm. really fascinating to me because um, I think part of it is, do they trust you more? Is that what it is? And, and so it you, you can... Um, convince them and, and do your job effectively or is it something else completely or just the way we think differently because um, I'm, I'm pretty hardcore technical I'm not mm-hmm. my social skills and the social engineering skills probably not at the top of, of my A-list right but right. but maybe I was just wondering if it's more persona or if it's just more about the way you think and, and how you approach it
4: I just wonder if it's because we, we just notice uh, high profile women in the, in the space and I mm. think you know any um, we've obviously got the shortage of representation in the, in the industry that we all know about and talk about, and maybe it's not that women are better social engineers; it's just that you notice in us more, and um, the females in the space. And I think it will be true throughout tech, actually. Yeah, it could be. You know, you just notice it because there's plenty of male social engineers who were very awesome. We had Joe Uh Gray speaking yesterday, just after lunch. I interviewed him yesterday morning. And Joe's an awesome social engineer, right? Right. So I think we just maybe notice the women more because there's less of us.
1: Yeah, that may be true. So what are some of the tips and tricks that you kind of brought out yesterday during your keynote?
4: So I think one of my main points was that um, we have to look at security holistically. We can't just separate into silos of the technical uh, guys and and girls and and the social engineers really we need to look at it from a defense posture. We need to look at all the different attack vectors and really just mix them together because that's mm. what the attackers do. So I think what I was really talking about was um, the way that we should combine everything, all the skills, try and get everyone sort of known something about everything, mm. but certainly not disregarding the human side because at the end of the day, um, social engineering will get past when nothing else does because there's humans in the system. Right. So really that was what I was talking
1: humans about. Humans are still the weakest link in the chain when we think about it, for a lot of reasons, Mm -hmm. not just from the physical security side, but even we click the link. We click the link on the phishing email that allows a lot of the attacks through the front door because we're curious and and we're human, right? And so we make those mistakes. Um, But sometimes the industry focuses so much on the technology side of the house as a quick fix, but it's not always a quick fix because the human can still get around even the most advanced technologies because we we know how to get around them
4: right so I was talking about uh, I gave a story yesterday where um, we actually did a physical infiltration into a bank and they had great security they had a biotech access system but I knew that the security guard could bypass that system so Hmm. I don't work on the lock I work on the person who can bypass the lock right so but I think one of the things we need to do is design in just that notion that people will click on links and will do things, they'll mm-hmm. do things for convenience. We kind of have to accept that and stop blaming people for that. Right. And as an industry, work around those things and do our best to make sure that people know what to do when they see something suspicious. First of all, how to recognize it. Right. And then what to do. Make it easier for them to do the right thing than the wrong thing.
1: Right, exactly. And yeah. I think that's one of the big lessons we learned from Chris in, in mm-hmm. the conversation we had with him a couple of weeks ago too, is w- when you run into that person that questions what you're doing, mm-hmm and digs a little deeper into really trying to understand, are you really supposed to be here? It's those types of people that prevent uh, successful social engineering attacks sometimes because they're questioning and they're doing that deeper dive and if we can instill that into all of our other employees, we will have a better security posture as a whole.
4: Right, it's gonna make things so much more difficult and that's what we need to do, we need to promote that, make sure that people aren't worried about confessing if they think that they've been part of attack or right. an attacks underway and um, the blame culture in a lot of ind- uh, businesses needs to go right and um, otherwise we've got nothing from our side to look at how, what the mo is how they're being attacked what sort of things are happening so that's true but i don't like the phrase the weakest link i think everyone understands it <laughs> and certainly outside <laughs> the industry it explains things really yeah. well but i think what it does is that you know that's how attackers think when i'm doing a, a replicated attack you know we would look at it that way but I think when we start to talk to people and use that terminology, it's not really helpful, mm. right? Because it doesn't sound like we're supporting people. So I always say in my talks, I don't think we're the weakest link or the strongest defense. We're just somewhere in the middle and hence the angel and the ape, right? right? We're just human. And I think when those of us on the defense side really need to bear that in mind and, and work with the humans. Because if you can get all the eyes and ears on board, if you can mobilize the troops and get everyone questioning more, right. then you know, that, that, that in itself is gonna grow and we're gonna reduce the dependency on outside consultancy yeah. and products to, to, right. to, to help protect them. That is true. You know?
1: And I think that's been one of the biggest challenges is that education and that awareness to make us all question, as Paul would say, distrust and verify. Right. Um, we're not quite there, but, you know, hopefully we can get better as an industry to really instill that culture uh-huh. of distrust what you see, verify, and that'll make us all better at the end of the day.
4: Right. And, and people haven't asked me, you know, should I be completely paranoid? And like we're all in security, right? So we can't. Yeah, of So are. we are. We <laughs> really are. But <laughs> I say, no, you've got to live your life. But you just have to, you know, it, these have to be conscious choices. You have to really think about what you put on social media, mm-hmm. you know, how, you, how open your account is, what sort of things you put in. And I talk about that. And I say, you know, one of the things I said yesterday was I remember when because I've been doing this for a long time. And I remember, you know, as social media became more and more prevalent and people were posting everything on, it was mm-hmm. just like fish in a barrel in the beginning because, and we were constantly saying to people, think about what you're saying that everyone can see this. So trying to get people to protect themselves more and just question it. And then it's up to the individual to choose Mm -hmm. the level of risk they're willing to accept. But they do need to think about it first. And I think that's our job. But to take your point about security awareness, we always need to work within the culture. You know, what worked before? um, And bring it in, and one of the things, actually I was saying, um, earlier on, one of the things we say is bring it into um, weekly meetings. So if you have a mm. team meeting, have a security moment in that meeting, right? So someone's nominating, they have to bring in a story. Maybe they, there was a hack or something, or they saw a movie even with something in, just to say, or they got a, an email mm-hmm. and they thought it was a fish and it wasn't, or it was, and just to bring it in, talk to the team. But not someone who's in security, just a member of that team. Oh, I see. Because then it's, there's a sort of snowball effect mm-hmm. within the industry. Uh, sorry, within the business, that it's part of the culture it's just what they talk about. Right. We used to do it years ago with health and safety. You know, bring a safety mm-hmm. moment in, and you'd nominate someone different every team meeting. Yeah, you know, it do takes the same two thing minutes. With security, yeah, yeah, and then the language starts to get into the business, and people start to realize it's kind of normal.
1: In in the awareness, right? Because now it's more visible. It's something you do on a weekly yeah. basis, and you're like, oh. I didn't think about that when I saw that article in the paper. And you think about it differently now. And
4: I guess the conversation's going. And I always think with social engineering, it's a really good place to start. Because I think often with the technical hacks, people, certainly people not in the industry, it just seems all a little bit nefarious. It's (laughs) difficult to kind of get your hands on it. But people can imagine an adversary. They can imagine a con Mm -hmm. artist, which is really what what I would say I was and what social engineers are. They can imagine that. They can sort of relate to it. So it's a good way of getting the conversation going.
1: That's great. Great tips for everybody. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining us. We'll see you soon.